online broadcast. I'm Carice Hendrick. And I'm Brett Johnson. And we're both anti-fraud experts. But with very different sets of experiences. I've been in the anti-fraud space for well over a decade, working with some of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. Prior to several years ago, I was a fraudster, committing several different types of fraud online until I ended up on the United States Most Wanted list, spent time in prison, and since that point I've dedicated my career to helping businesses and consumers protect themselves against people like I used to be. And this week we thought it was really important to start talking about keeping our kids safe from online fraud. Kids are the number one victims of identity theft right now, and while we've mentioned that in past episodes and touched on it a little bit, this week we really want to talk more about why that is, how it happens, and most importantly, how to protect your child from having their identity stolen before they turn 18. We'll also talk about keeping kids safe online in games and social media. These topics are so important to us that this will be our first episode of several in the near future where we dive into topics like this with with experts with experience working with some of the biggest companies in the world that have websites that kids frequent. So if these are topics you're especially interested in, subscribe to the podcast to be alerted to our future episodes. So, Brett, I first learned about how prone to identity theft kids are um, in your very first public speaking event when you spoke at the <laughs> annual conference I helped organize, and you literally scared the crap out of everyone, in the <laughs> every parent in the room especially. Even though every person at the event was a fraud prevention expert, I literally saw people like trying to call the credit bureaus in the hallway. They were asking me about it. It was probably the biggest question asked all week, even though you know we were all there to talk about preventing fraud that was occurring for their companies online, uh, this really hit close to home and wasn't really something that we were aware of. So definitely if it was something that all of us weren't aware of, probably is something that most parents aren't aware of too. How do you explain why kids have become targets for identity thieves and how does it work? Sure. So if you look at identity theft, there are basically two groups that are the most vulnerable, and that's senior citizens and children. And and both of these groups have really one thing in common, and that most common thing is, is they really don't have a lot of online presence. If you're looking at stealing someone's identity in the cyberspace arena, what you're trying to find is someone who a lot of the time doesn't have a big presence online. Uh, For senior citizens, the reason it happens for them is, you know, they're established with credit and everything else. So you can, if they don't have an online account with their credit or their social security account or anything else like that, a criminal can actually go in, set up an account in their name and look more legitimate than the real owner. It's kind of the flip on the side of children, though. For children, they don't have their personal information out there. They don't have bank accounts. They don't have things like this. So if you're looking at identity theft, where it affects children, it takes place in three areas, and that's medical fraud, tax fraud, and synthetic fraud. A child's ID, basically their social security number, what we see it time and time again is because that social security number has not been seen within a system, within the credit bureau system or within maybe a medical system or something like that, a thief can take that social and use it to apply for credit with medical billing, with synthetic fraud, with tax fraud. So looking at those three things, let's look first at tax fraud. I'm looking at that because I'm the guy who kind of started that in the cyberspace. So what happens is, is, is a thief can take a child's social security number, date of birth, and they can use that information to apply for a tax 
tax credit, an earned, in, an earned income credit is what it's called. You fill out a false income tax return, you add that child on there, it doesn't matter if the child is related to you or not by tax law, as long as you're claiming that child as a dependent, you get the earned income credit. So that's one of the big things that children's identities are used for. We see it traded online on these cybercrime arenas. We see it traded within neighborhoods. You'll see uh, actual people that, uh, I used to know people that would borrow someone's child's identity to claim taxes because the person that had the kid wasn't filing taxes that year. It's very common that this thing happens. And those credits range up to you know two to $3,000 a pop for each kid. That's that's one of the ways that a child's identity can be stolen. Another so would they use their own identity and then just claim other people's kids as dependents? Or are they making up false adult identity and then adding kids as the dependents? It can be or both. does it vary? I mean, okay. In the interest of full disclosure, let me say that I've done both. I've actually, when I was in college, I filed taxes and I used children's information and I had no kids. And that was to get the earned income credit. All right. When I began actually breaking the law in an organized manner, I would steal someone's tax information and I would just add kids' stolen identities to that in order to pump up the tax return amounts at that point. So it can happen both ways. In neighborhoods and poor neighborhoods, you see, or within poor areas, you see people that will borrow children's IDs in order to pump up their own tax return. And they'll actually pay the parent of whoever the child is that they're stealing the identity from, they'll pay them some small amount in order mm. to use their numbers and everything. In a more organized environment within these cybercrime communities and everything, you buy children's information for $2 for each social security number, and you just put that information in there on the tax return and try to pump up the uh, the tax return amount that you're getting to cash out. And then the real parent goes to file their taxes, and at some point that gets caught, right? Absolutely. So um, what may not be right away, but it'll happen You know, as they go through their review process a few months later. And then the parent is on the hook or the parent can't get that earned income tax credit or it's in suspense. And maybe they were waiting for that, especially if, you know, you're in poor neighborhoods and you're waiting to get your tax check back, then you can't. It's suspended for investigation. And usually the second person to apply for taxes for that child is the one that gets hung up on it, from what I understand. Absolutely. So what happens is, is the thief actually beats the legitimate person to filing. When the legitimate person goes to file that return, they're told at that point, as soon as it goes to the IRS office, they're told, hey, someone's already filed a return with this information. I think that's exactly what the statement says. Mm -hmm. Lord knows I've filed enough of them. But it says, you know, this a return has already been filed with this information. At that point, the legitimate person has to notify the IRS. They have to make a police report. It can take potentially months to get it ironed out and to get that refund back to the person. Well, and I think a lot of people think that the IRS is a lot more sophisticated than it is, and it definitely is a lot more sophisticated since you got started um, yeah. doing it, and it's because of you and the people that, you know, followed in your footsteps, and when I hear you tell stories by, about that, like, just for the record, it, so I have to remind myself, no, no, he's not that person anymore. <laughs> he's helping people now. I can't hate him. I've just dedicated my whole career against people like you used to be, so right. it can be challenging for me sometimes, um, and I'm sure for some people listening, too. Why are we listening to this guy now? But you've definitely had a huge redemption story, and that's helped you now be able to help others. I think that the IRS isn't sophisticated enough, really, or I don't really know what systems they have. So, you know, maybe don't quote me on that part. But for right now, don't have a way to say this child belongs to this parent's social security right. number in the right way. And I know, like, for me, you know, in my 
my divorce, um, when I divorced when my daughter was really young and we had to do every other year. And sometimes they'd be like, wait, what year is it? Is it your year or my year? And, you know, we never did duplicate, but I know that that would be a situation where the IRS would have to remember both people that file separate tax returns, you know, and every other year. And that's just probably too much information for them to store. Now, my hope would be that they're working towards some kind of database like that. It would make a lot of sense. It would help right. them with write-offs and everything else and all the losses, but um, I just don't know. Well, and to be fair, the IRS has, they have grown significantly better at circumventing or defeating the criminals who are filing these fake income tax returns. Mm-hmm. They've gotten much better at doing that. Now, if, if you're a new guy, if you're one of these aspiring cyber criminals and you think that you're going to start in tax fraud, you're probably going to starve to death. It, mm-hmm. it takes it. It takes a really skilled person to get those returns through. Now uh, you have to either steal the tax transcript, you have to steal the W two, something like that. The information has to be exact. If it's a different payment instrument that you're having the money deposited to, or anything else that raises flags. Trying to get those returns through now, and pro- if you're a criminal trying to profit by them, is extremely difficult. Uh, well, good. I mean, it doesn't happen. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it, these criminals every single year they they start. January 16th, and they keep going through October 16th every or October 15th every single year. You know, it's 10 months that you can do this kind of stuff and and try to get these returns through. And some of them do go through, but when you've got potentially hundreds of thousands or millions of cyber criminals trying to do this type of fraud, those numbers look pretty high, even though the success rate is pretty low. Good to know. So I know that was a little bit of a tangent on tax fraud, but um, <laughs> good, but good for people to know, especially you know as we're getting towards the end of the year and tax season's coming up, I guess one of the lessons there is to, you know, file your taxes early, which I'm not good at. (laughs) The other ways that children are used as victims of identity theft, uh, medical fraud, and I'm going to be honest with you, I've never really experienced in that, those organized environments, I've really never experienced much medical fraud going on. Uh, Up until last year, I would say that a lot of medical information, it was just, just used to to harvest the data of the person that was there. Last year, I started to see some of these uh, criminals that were selling these medical credit cards, like Care Credit. That is happening, and I understand that medical fraud is extremely high, but I really have no real knowledge or experience in that arena. I would say the majority of medical fraud that I know of is usually familial. So usually it's not like a cyber criminal who's doing this for a career. It's a family member who's desperate and needs to borrow their aunts or their daughters or somebody else's information to hospitals because they don't ever intend to pay the bill um, or some kind of credit social. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And your kid has nothing else on their credit report, so they can't really find them. Um, but they might have a credit agency, uh, a collection agency on their report when they go to file it. So I would say that's more familial, which is still important and um, good to know about. But it wouldn't be from a cyber criminal, more or less, unless it's like industrial medical equipment or you know Medicare fraud. But that's like a whole other kind of fraud that is not right. in our purview. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, the final thing is probably the most insidious thing. It's, it's synthetic fraud. Now, we've talked about synthetic fraud before. But just to refresh people on that, in in 2011, the Social Security Administration, they randomized Social Security numbers, and they did that to combat identity theft. So if I had your last, the last four of your Social Security number, if I knew enough about you, I could figure out the first five of that, all right? So the Social Security Administration in 2011, they, they took steps to fix that problem, and they randomized all the numbers. Now, when they did that, it allowed a criminal at that point 
when they randomized it, you could no longer tell the year it was issued in or the state it was issued from. When that happened, it allowed a criminal at that point to use a child's social security number to apply for credit. So you can take a kid's social security number born after 2011, you just use the social, you add a name to it, an adult date of birth, an address, a phone number, you apply for credit. Where that profile's never been seen in the credit bureau system before, the, credit, the initial application for credit is denied, but when it's denied, it sets up a credit profile with that information, that synthetic information in the system. And then a criminal can boost the credit score up pretty quickly. Within 30 days, he can have a you know 760-plus credit score on that synthetic profile. Once it's through the credit bureau system, every other system, the way, the way this thing works is once it gets in the credit bureau system, creditors view that as a real person. They never question that. So now it's a real person, according to the creditors. It's got an adult date of birth, and they start issuing credit based on that 760 credit score. Most of the time, when you're looking at synthetic profiles, and you may have heard, like on YouTube, you can search for credit profile numbers, CPNs. That credit profile number is synthetic fraud. It's basically using a child's social security number to apply for credit. Um, it's 80% of all new account fraud. It's the fastest growing form of identity theft in the United States. Uh, losses right now are staggering. It's $50 billion in losses right now. 20% uh, of all credit card debt is the estimate. 5% of all charge-offs. It's, it's just an insidious form of crime. And that is, that's one of the big things that children are being hit with now. Uh, the reason why kids, it's not only that their information has not been seen before, but by using a child's information, say you use someone's information that's five years old. Well, they may not know they've been a victim of fraud until they turn 16, 17, 18. So it gives the criminal you know, 12, 13 years head start before the child even knows there's a problem. The trail's cold at that point. That's one of the things that you need to watch out for, too. So those three areas, medical, synthetic, and tax fraud, are where children are being hit at the most. Well, and I would say synthetic for sure is a big deal. I mean, and I even met someone recently who said, you know, they're fairly young, like maybe 19, 20. And they said, well, I pulled my credit for the first time because my dad said I should. And I have an Amex card on there that I never <laughs> applied for. And it's been on there since I was you know, a lot younger, but she's like, they've been paying. So should I have it taken off? And I said, yeah, yes. because either it was a mistake or they are aging your account to try to build credit and paying the you know minimum amount for a while. And then they're going to go to town. Um, and, and it so it may well. not just be like getting a credit card for a month and then let it going bad. It right. might be that they're building your kid's credit for a while to then be approved for a $20,000 credit card. And, like, you never understand. know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of these things where, especially with synthetic fraud, it may not be one of these darknet forums or anything else like that. A lot of the time, it's a family member. You know, the family mm. member, the, the, the parent has horrible credit, so what do they do? They start using the child's social security number. That's synthetic fraud. It happens a lot in poor areas. You'll see that uh, people are needing a car, they're needing furniture or something like that, and they have bad credit to begin with. So they try to get a new credit profile built up, and, and they go to these fly-by-night credit repair places who say, oh, we can get you a brand-new credit profile, everything's fine. Well, when they say that, what they're doing is, is they're using a child's social security number to have you a, a new credit profile built. All right, your credit profile is your profile. There's no such thing as coming up with a new credit profile. You need to fix the one that you have. The problem is, is that people don't want to do that. They want to take the easy way out. And there we see the birth of this entire synthetic fraud by stealing children's identities. Wow. So you had said that, you know, there isn't a credit report created for the child. Um, and I think this is a common misconception that anyone who has a social security number already has a credit report. 
um, or that, you know, the credit bureaus are tied in to the Social Security Administration. So they how would they not know that that was a six year old's uh, Social Security number? And from everything I've learned in the last year through our friendship and also just there's been a lot more things published about synthetic fraud and I've been speaking at more events with people in the banking world that are dealing with this a lot. Um, And it's a really hard thing for them to detect when they get a credit report that's synthetic because it looks just the same as anyone else's. The Social Security Administration information is private. It's not public. So it's not something that the credit bureaus can double check the age. Now, they can double check if the Social Security number is valid, but that's about it. They can't check the age. Um, That would maybe be a great initiative if we were you know, ever asked to consult on legal rules and laws, uh, especially in the U.S. on credit safety. But I don't think we're there yet. I don't see either of us testifying in front of Congress anytime soon. But that is true. <laughs> um, you know, we definitely have ideas of how it can be stopped. And one would be, you know, being able to have the credit bureaus check that. So basically, the kid doesn't have a credit report. And so whoever creates that credit report first is kind of the owner of it. And so that's why you know, it's so important to create it first. And we'll get there as to how to prevent synthetic fraud, for sure. Absolutely. One question I had for you at one point, and thankfully you've answered it, but I think other people would have this question too, is how are they gaining kids' social security numbers? I mean, I understand why my social security number's out there because, you know, I've been around, I've been, you know, over 18 for quite a while now. And, um, <laughs> you know, various different things. I mean, for goodness sake, my college ID was my social security number. Right. That's why I have it memorized. I mean, they don't do that anymore. But, you know, it used to be all over stuff. I can think of a couple of ways. But what are the most prevalent ways that kids' social security numbers are being exposed, especially now that there's not, you know, that they've made it more random and it's not as easy to guess? Sure. So uh, how are they exposed? Uh, Certainly through phishing attacks. Um, Still today, we see 92% of every breach begins with a phishing attack. Not only that, but it's it's incursions into medical systems. Uh, We see time and again that even with HIPAA, with everything else, that attackers are almost at will breaching into medical systems and getting data. Again, that information is sold for a child's profile for $2. But when you're an attacker and you're stealing maybe 100,000 profiles of kids, that comes up to a good amount of money you're making from that one breach. I've seen time and again on these criminal forums, we see over and over that someone who actually works in a medical office will actually be getting the data and trying to sell it or trade it for something. That makes me so sad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. (laughs) So somebody that works at my child's pediatrician office could also be selling her social security number. Right, and let's think about what they're making at that point. So Mm. if they work at a pediatrician's office, what, there may be a 1,000 kids in there overall whose information they get. So they're profiting $2,000 by giving your child's information away, basically, at that point. So Mm. the, the dollar amounts that these people are making, these insiders are making, is not very much, but they're still doing it. And that tends to be the most popular or most prevalent ways that this information is obtained. Wow. Well, and I've also heard of school systems maybe not being as secure, somebody within the school system falling for a phishing attack and opening up you know, their system to malware, right. then goes and scrapes the system. You know, there's various ways that it comes up. Hospitals and then the, all the insurance companies that were breached a couple years ago The OPM hack, Office of Personal Management, every dependent of a federal employee, whether in the military or the government, was exposed. So there's multiple ways that I think that it's contributed to synthetic fraud, especially being so high, is all these different ways. And I think the best thing to do, 
knowing that is don't put your kid's social security number on any piece of paper unless it is absolutely needed. Over the last several years, I've you know been taking my daughter to the doctor or the hospital or urgent care or wherever and it asks for her social security number. I just skip it and when I hand them the form, I say, look, if you absolutely need that, I'll give it to you, but I want to know kind of how you store it, which I know as I say that out loud makes me sound really annoying, but <laughs> I say it in a very nice way and I'm like, look, I'm in cybercrime and I really don't, <laughs> preventing it again, um, <laughs> and I just want to be extra cautious. They understand they're I mean, I can think of no time that they've been like, no, it's absolutely necessary. It's usually just one extra identifier if your child has a really common name, like Connor Smith or something like that. But really, they can get around it. You know, your school probably does need the social security number, but they should have secure ways of storing that. So it's not just pieces of paper in a filing cabinet like in a doctor's office. So that's one quick way that you can help that from happening. But you know, you can't stop the school district from being breached or your health insurance company from being breached or the hospital from being breached. So the biggest way to prevent this from happening, you know, it's really important that kids freeze their credit report. And that's exactly what you told everyone uh, in May of 2017. And now I see articles about it all the time. Um, not as many as there should be. Right. Um, but NBC did a um, really good story on it in the nightly news in the middle of September. Because thankfully, as of September 21st um, of 2018, you can do this for free. So up until then, the credit bureaus were charging an annual fee. But you also have to create a credit report for your child, um, like we just talked about. So when you freeze your child's credit, just like what we talked about in the last episode of freezing your own credit, um, there's one extra step, and that is to you know, ask to have your kid's credit report created. If they already have a credit report, definitely pull it to see if there's anything on there. You need to contest now so you know, you're not getting to where they're applying for the FAFSA you know, to go to college and they can't because their credit is ruined. Creating that credit report for free, and then also a lot of times they ask you to create a password. And I think something really important is, I had to remind myself this, is I needed to write down that password somewhere that I would find it in the four years that my daughter's going to be 18. If she was younger, you know, it would be I'd have to find it in 10 years or 12 years or 16 years. So, but you don't want it to be too easy, right? So you don't want it to be like their full name or their name and their date of birth or something that can be guessed. So um, making it creative, but also something that you'll remember or that you write it down somewhere that you're not going to forget it, whether it's in their baby book, if you were a better parent than me and kept that up, um, <laughs> or somewhere else like that, if you have a file with all their grades or whatever it is, somewhere important, um, because you don't want your child to be locked out of their credit report either. That would be like my biggest advice. Brett, do you have any other advice on freezing kids' credit? No, I mean, that that is the answer. And uh, as we know, on September 21st, it became free to do that. There is no excuse not to do it anymore. Uh, and understand that why it's so effective. The only type of fraud a child's identities is going to be hit with is that new account fraud. And that's exactly what a credit freeze stops is new account fraud. Well, I would say the caveat would be tax fraud and obviously medical fraud, which, you know, right. we talked about. But tax fraud, I mean, freezing their credit report probably isn't going to do anything. But... The biggest threat to kids right now is way more, you know, synthetic than it is tax fraud, just like Absolutely. Brett said. And that is the only way. And also freezing it with all three credit bureaus, not just one. Freezing with one doesn't really do anything. Um, you have to do it with all three because different creditors pull different uh, reports from different bureaus. And a lot of them will start with like a very small limit on something and then build it up, kind of like Brett said. And I just picture these people with like files of all these, you know, synthetic humans that they've <laughs> created or IDs, you know, they have to tend to and charge and then pay off and then get it. It just seems like so much work. But 
I know that the dollar values are high because, you know, they're not catching it for a long time. Nobody yeah, thinks true. to check your seven-year-old's credit report. <laughs> it's just not, I never would have thought of it. And I'm in this industry. So I think that's the biggest take home. But we also wanted to talk about a couple other things. When it comes to online fraud and online safety of kids, we're living in a different time than when we were growing up. I mean, gosh, I didn't even have a cell phone until I was in college. And I know you're, you know, 10 years older than me. So (laughs) yours is a little bit later. But we didn't have to worry about the internet or anything else. So we really haven't had to worry about it the last five years or so. And there's just so many things. I mean, you have the digital assistant in your house. You've got laptops and phones and TV and your kids have access to all of them and there's console games and there's, you know, social media and all this stuff. And both of us are parents of 14 year olds. I have a 14 year old daughter and Brett has a 14 year old son. So we've had to venture into the world of letting our kids be on the internet. Um, Oh, have we ever. (laughs) Yeah. And we both have (laughs) some stories we'll share and others that we don't want to, but we've both had a full on education on this. And what's interesting about us being in this journey is that we also know what's out there and we want to protect them as much as possible. And it just blows my mind how many parents of my daughter's peers, whether it be in middle school or now that she's in high school, that don't think about some of this stuff and don't think about what their kids are exposed to, both from a financial fraud standpoint, as well as, you know, safety, as well as just what their minds are seeing, what their eyes are seeing so young. That part is a judgment call on the parents' behalf. They have access to everything. There were 12-year-olds in my daughter's middle school that were full-on like addicted to Pornhub because it's free now. So, you know, it happens. So that's just something to think about, but not, you know, not what this next section is totally about. But I know I often have a lot of my daughter's friends' parents ask me for advice on overall internet safety, both from financial and overall physical safety. And I have several tips, and I know you do too. When it comes to online gaming and or social media, how do you suggest that parents keep their kids safe? Like what rules should they have um, while still allowing them to play the games or be on social media platforms that they want to? No games. No games on social media. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, Our friend that works for Fortnite would not be happy with that answer. <laughs> well, my, my my 14-year-old wouldn't be happy with that answer. Either. I know. <laughs> so, so really, there, there's two ways you can handle it. I mean, there's more than that. But you, you could either be the parent who is monitoring every single thing the child does, or you can be the parent that tries to give some freedom out. Now, that being said... <laughs> I started out as the one that gave freedom. And it turns out that when, you, when you're when you dealing with a 13-year-old boy that turns 14, that somewhere along those lines, they find out what a girl is. And not in the good way. So they're, they, they're missing <laughs> that Pornhub site that you just spoke about. Yeah. And, and let me tell you Or so, they're so Googling. I, I mean, I'm yeah. sorry. This is like not to bring too much levity to it. But I do find it kind of funny to learn what young boys Google. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, to yeah. look for pictures. That's a whole other side conversation, but yes. um, it so speaks I, to internet meets pre-adolescence. <laughs> so what I did was, is I, I started out by saying, you know, hey, I want to be able to trust you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to put any locks on there, but understand that every now and then I'm going to grab your phone and I'm going to check everything that you've done. And I, I advise you not to erase any history because if you do, you lose your phone completely at that point in time. So he, he listened to me about not erasing history, which was good, but he didn't <laughs> understand that I was going to go through his history. So, you know, about a month and a half later, I'm like, 
phone now. <laughs> and I know something's wrong because he's he hands me the phone in a very slow manner and he's looking at me and I'm like go away now. So he he goes to the kitchen but he's he's peering around the corner every mm. now and then to see mm -hmm. what I'm, I'm like oh Those yeah, kids are not as here. sneaky as they think they are, <laughs> no, aren't no, they? Not at all. I'm like all right, so there's a reason I need to look at the phone today. So sure enough, I find the Pornhub stuff. And I'm like, okay, this is over right now. So I, I found out that, at least as far as my relationship with my son, I could not just give him free reign. So uh, I was talking to Jerry Thompson. He, uh, he, he works with Identity Guard. You know, he was saying the same thing about there's two types of parents. What I'm doing now, and I think it's pretty good to do that, so if you give the kid a, a cell phone, or a mobile device or whatever. I have the email address registered in my name so that any type of request for passwords or anything else comes right to me. This, the credit card is not, if he's going to buy an app or wanting uh, access to something, every single permission has to come through me. So I know if he's trying to install WhatsApp. I know if he's trying to install one of these chat sessions that uh, is encrypted and doesn't save the chat or anything else like that. And I'm very, very diligent about what I allow him access to now. So I don't, if he's on a chat session, I want to make sure that it's a program that doesn't delete the chat as soon as it's done. Now, I've turned into that parent, which is kind of too far, I think. My best advice, there are, there are several companies out that monitor children's, social media accounts, things like that. I think that you have to really have a hands-on approach now because it's not just the child that's out there looking for, you know, potential, you know, pornography or, or, or sites like that. It's these predators that are out there as well looking for children. And it, it doesn't matter if the child's a, a girl or a boy, you've got predators that feed on both. So you have to be very diligent about what's going on these days. I don't allow my, my 14 year old, I don't allow him a, a Facebook account. He's not on Instagram. He likes to play games more than anything, so I allow him to do that. But even that, to give you an example, he was on he was on Fortnite, and he had <laughs> his TV up in his bedroom, and I made the mistake. I guess it wasn't a mistake, but I walked by one night. It was <laughs> loud. It was getting so loud that I was hearing what, and it's funny to hear a 13-year-old try to curse. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's they don't know how there. to put the words in the right order. Right. He's, he's using the wrong words in the wrong context. And I'm like, okay. So I walk in. I'm like, what you doing, buddy? <laughs> he gets this red face like nothing. And I'm like, I heard everything you were doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he was like, oh. So that, that prompted the moving of the TV from the bedroom into an area where I knew what was going on until I can get to the point where I trust him again. I think it's very important that, that today that we're monitoring those children's accounts because children, they may, my 14-year-old, he's, he's very good about uh, being able to carry on a discussion with adults, but he still has the emotional level of a 14-year-old. They don't have the understanding that adults have. They don't understand what that world's like, and I don't want, want him to, uh, to get to the point where he's looking at, at females and objectifying them. Uh, that's something that I'm really scared of him doing. He's not old enough to understand what he's looking at or right. reading or things like that or listening to. So I'm trying to come to the point where it's, it's this happy medium where he's got freedom enough to go out. But at the same time, I know exactly what he's doing and can trust him not to look at the things that, that I'm worried about him looking at or listening to. Right. Well, and my parenting is very similar in the fact that I was raised really strict and I kind of equate it to being raised in a pop can and being shook up all through high school through various uh, religious activities or whatever it was. And then when I got out of the house and 
once I turned 18, it was like the pop can opened and woohoo. So I try really hard not to be super strict, but also explain to my daughter why, you know, why this is important and that I care for her. And, you know, we don't just hand our kids car keys when they turn 16, right? right? Like they need to practice driving. They need to be, you know, supervised by an adult. They need to take training. We don't do that for the internet. We're obviously touching on several topics. It's not just safety, but also, you know, what they're viewing. I feel like I've become the older my daughter gets, the more prude I get. Um, (laughs) I'm like, wait, no. Um, You know, because back, gosh, back in our day, if somebody wanted to look at some suggestive things, they had to go find their dad's stash under his mattress. Like you had to go work for it. Now you don't. There's definitely some things that we've gone through. Now, I have a kid who if I explain something to her and tell her like this is what worries me about it, she abides by the letter of the law. And so, like, with her YouTube account, it's under my email address. So if I ever want to look at the history, I can. And for a long time, she thought that I did regularly. So one time she'd be like, Mom, I clicked on a link, and I didn't know what it was, and I turned it off. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll make, you know, so, Mom, when you see that, just know I didn't mean to. And I clicked right off of it. Okay, well, good to know. And then let's talk about it. You know, what was it about? I give her freedom while also having her know that I'm here and I want to know what's going on and I want to talk about it. Like, hey, what kind of videos are you watching now? Are you watching random people open boxes of toys or are you watching slime videos or people playing video games? Um, And it has varied every year based on how old she's getting. So in the fifth grade, my daughter wanted to get an Instagram account and that's pretty young, but she was having friends go to middle school and she wanted it. And so we talked about it. We put it under my email address and then I had it on my phone too. Every kid's different for what you do, whether you put like parental controls on their computer or their phone or, you know, you block things. (laughs) Unfortunately, a lot of kids can get around blocks. There's even YouTube videos for it. So those may or may not be effective depending on how old your kid is because they're very internet savvy these days. I had the Instagram on my phone so that I could see like what was being posted and who she was accepting friend requests from and all of that. And I say as a general rule for both internet gaming and any kind of social media, I don't think it's good for, I think all kids shouldn't be sharing any personal identifiers online. So either in your profile or in chat. So your last name, the school you attend, the neighborhood or town you live in. So like if you're in a city, don't name the neighborhood. If you're in a small town, don't name the town. Uh, your parents' names, your birth date, your mom's credit card number. That happens um, quite a bit, actually. Username and passwords for any site, especially the gaming platform they're playing on. And I'll go into that in a little more detail in a minute. Having that extra safety on her Instagram helped me know who she was accepting. You know, I also say don't accept friend requests from people that you don't know in person, like in real life. Um, And I recognize it's probably only going to work for kids under 16 because then, you know, kids get interested in wanting some followers and everything else. But I think it's a good rule for everyone. You know, no accepting DMs or follower requests from other people or from people that you don't know. And so I would watch that and I would never, you know, and I made a deal with her, like, I'm not going to go in and look at everything that you're posting or everything that your friends are posting. Like, I want to respect your privacy, but know that I have this on my phone so that I can see, you know, what's happening and I can check in when I need to. (laughs) And honestly, I did. I totally respected that. Like, I didn't, you know, and if I saw a DM between her and a friend or when she got her very first boyfriend, I didn't look at them most of the time. Now, there were a couple times that half of the text came up on my phone without ever clicking on it that I couldn't help. But for the most part, like, it wasn't to be nosy. It was purely for her safety. And I made sure that she understood that. And it actually came in really handy because in the seventh grade, she was being bullied really bad. And she went through a really horrifying time where some bad stuff happened. And then she got turned on. And I was actually at a 
industry event here in Seattle and um, was a guest speaker. And halfway through, my phone just starts blowing up, like tons of <laughs> just like lots and lots of vibrating. Yeah. And I couldn't understand it. And there were these two girls that just started bullying her hard on Instagram, saying the most awful things in messaging. And I like I started crying because she was going through such a hard time right now. I had to leave early, go home, pick up the pieces. Here's this crying girl in, in like a puddle on the floor. But had I not had my phone synced up to her phone, who knows if she would have told us about it or if she would have kept it inside. So it's not just about safety. It's also about online bullying. So those things kind of encompass all of it. And I think it's just really important to have an open relationship with your kids and not just tell them a rule and not give them the reason, but share with them that you want to keep them safe, that there are things in the world that you don't want them to have to worry about right now, but it's your worry and you just want to keep them safe. Kids want to be safe. And so I think coming that way, I think parents who just say, don't do this or don't go there, it doesn't work. <laughs> Trust me. It didn't work for me. That's it doesn't true. work for them. I know most <laughs> of your kids are going on other stuff because they tell my daughter and she tells me. So, <laughs> you know, or those there are those parents that don't even care that their kids set up an Instagram without them knowing and has 40-year-old men following them and complimenting their looks. You know, so it varies, but it is, I think it's really important to, you know, not be oblivious, not be an ostrich and put our head in the sand for what can be out there. I've worked at the biggest gaming companies in the world. I know the stuff that happens on that. On those consoles, on like the live games, some of the worst places for predators are the games that target eight to 10 year olds or six to 12 year olds. It's really bad. So bad that one of the console companies was trying to get their company to take one of the games down because they felt like there were more predators out there than good paying customers. It's sad and gross, but that's, you know, what it is. And they befriend them. And so it's just the same as having the conversation about stranger danger on the street. But now it's stranger danger online and they're befriending them and they're complimenting them and they're, you know, doing all these things. And sometimes it works. So we need to be aware of that. It may not be payment fraud, but it's still a safety thing and it's online. So we wanted to cover it. Other things I say about social media, don't share posts from people you don't know. Don't click on ads to products that you're interested in. And if you really want to look at the site, open a new window online and search Google or another search engine because not all of the ads are legit. Some of them, you know, go to other websites and are, you know, for phishing. So they'll take your information and try to um, then, you know, use you as a victim or your child as a victim. As far as, you know, not sharing posts from people you don't know, a lot of those things can be tracked like, oh, who shared my post? Or you get on people's lists for contacts or things like that. So it's just a best practice. If there's like a meme that you really want to share, you can save it to your phone and then reshare it fresh. That's what I do with the very few memes that I find relevant to share. It's <laughs> just not really in that generation. Not participating in quizzes that ask for personal information, even if it's like, what's your superhero are you? Or what Star Wars character are you? Um, you're giving pers- part of your personal data to a third-party company that you know nothing about. And a lot of times, especially on Facebook, you're giving them access to some of your profile when that happens. Kind of similar to the Cambridge Analytica story that happened a few months ago. I'm going to go into a lot more detail on some of these when we talk about social media protection in general, but it's just more like things to keep in mind for your kids. Just keep an open dialogue with your kids. If they're under 13, you know, obviously consider having it on your phone like I did or be friends with them online. A lot of teenagers are starting to have two Instagram accounts or two Snapchat accounts where one is for their parents and, you know, other people and then the other is for their friends and shows other things. So be aware of that. 
And I'm thankful that now, like my daughter is 14, she actually doesn't care about social media. I'm rare. I know that. Like, I know there's other parents of teens that are like, what? <laughs> um, you know, she's more into video games and do her own thing. And she just, she, she told me one time, mom, social media is a lot of work. <laughs> it's like, I have to remember to post a picture about what I did. And then my friends get mad at me if I don't post enough. And eh. so I was like, sweet. I'm good with that. But I think that had I not let her have an Instagram account when she wanted one, right. it would have been a different story. So every kid's different. Every parent's different. But that's, you know, what we've done. As far as online gaming goes, I can't say it enough, like, to explain to your child how important it is not to ever share their login information with anyone. Not their friend. Not a stranger. No matter what they tell them. No matter what they say, they can get them to the next level or add a bunch of cool skins to their new account. Don't let them. And if you think that they're going to maybe like, oh, sure, here you go, then don't let them know what their password is. I can't stress this enough. And everyone, everyone who is, you know, works for an online gaming company who's listening to this is like, yes, this happens so much with kids on online games that people will say, hey, if you give me your username and password, I can get you to the next level or I can get you extra things. And what ends up happening is that they end up accessing their account and cleaning it all out. Or if you have your credit card number on there, they're going to use your credit card to load up a bunch of stuff and seal it. So it does directly pertains to online fraud and happens quite a bit. The other thing I would say is to absolutely have restrictions on your kid using your credit card number for online games. A lot of parents will put their card on file for their kid and, you know, say, hey, only use it for this or whatever. Or they don't remember, they don't realize that it was stored when they bought them, you know, Robux or credits on Xbox or Fortnite skins, whatever it is. They don't re realize that their card's on file. And what ends up happening is something that uh, in the industry we either call family fraud or friendly fraud. Family fraud's a derivative of friendly fraud and they're not the best names, but Family fraud is really when a family member uses another family member's credit card. So you see it a lot in online gaming. And in fact, a few years ago, Google ended up giving a ton of credits back in one blanket swoop because they were just getting hit with chargebacks so bad from this. And they had to put extra controls on it. And um, Apple has as well. So a lot of parents are saying that I shouldn't have to pay for that. Unfortunately, like for you, yeah, you do. According to Visa and MasterCard rules, as well as Amex and Discover, you are responsible for the credit card in your possession. And if someone in your household uses your credit card, it's on you. When parents are calling their bank to say, I didn't make these charges, that goes back to the merchant. That goes back to those online games. A lot of times, your kid's account's going to be canceled because of it. And then you've got the parent calling all upset that their kid's account was canceled. And it's like, well, your kid charged $500 worth of products on our system. You issued a chargeback to get that money back. You claimed it was fraud. So yep. therefore, we thought that that account was fraud. Like, you call it fraud. We're going to take your word for it. We're going to shut it down. So now you're upset that we shut it down. So we just should have given your child $500 worth of product. <laughs> um, and I'm sorry if I sound jaded about that, but it really is your parental duty to keep your credit card with you and to put controls on it. And if your kid goes on the spending spree on Fortnite or Xbox or any of these other ones, 
it's on you. And I know friends who have kids around, you know, our kids age that have had to have their kids work it off because they charge $300 to their parents' credit card or $600 to their credit card. But that's a lesson that your kid needs to learn. And they have to learn at some point that, you know, credit card money is real money or debit card money is real money, you know, or maybe you have a prepaid card on that, you know, stored there so that that way there's a limit, you know, whatever you decide to do, but really take that in mind. So I think the biggest things with online gaming is, you know, protecting your child from account takeover, from providing too much information about them, and then also protecting your credit card. I just, I can't say that enough because I've dealt with it so much with clients and with other companies. And it it happens a lot. And I think it's something that, you know, we as parents need to be aware of, whether that's, you know, having safety rules like you do, where he can't click on something without you putting in a password he doesn't know. With my child, I have quite a bit of trust with her because she hasn't, you know, I've always told her, you're going to have my trust until you lose it. Um, But I have guidelines around it. She will come and bring me last night. In fact, she brought me $25 in ones to to load up her uh, Roblox account on my debit card, which is fine. That website in general looks a little sketchy. So it took me a while to make sure it was okay. Not last night, but in the, you know, a while ago when she first started. Um, And she actually went to my husband first because I was gone and he was like, uh, no, because it looks pretty sketchy, but it's legit. But yeah, also double checking and making sure that they're buying the games from the right sources and that you're not signing up for subscription or, you know, all those things, just be a little extra vigilant and informed so that your kids can stay secure. I mean, I know that that's really our tagline at the end, but I couldn't stress that enough (laughs) um, on all those things. (laughs) Brett, do you have anything to add? I know we've covered a lot on kid safety and like we said before, you know, we'll do more, but no, actually, I think I think you hit everything there. Carice's <laughs> <Yeah>. comprehensive list. <laughs> you know, it's really about raising awareness of of being actively involved with what your child's doing, uh, right? Regardless of whether you're you're accessing everything or just monitoring from a distance, but it, it's taking an active approach. Parents know that. I mean, it's right. it's but it, well, it's, yes and no, right? Because it's right. an easy babysitter. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, sometimes it's nice when my kids just on her laptop, so I can do my own thing or get caught up. I know parents of younger kids where, gosh, I knew this one lady, I swear, the iPhone raised her child when he was like two. <laughs> he was addicted to the thing. She was really busy and he was her third child and it was just like, here, play with this. And so, you know, I get that, but I think there has to be a balance. And yeah, we can't just assume that our kid's okay because they're on a safe website. We don't know how long they're going to be on that website. We also right. don't know if it really is safe. You know, there's also those video games that like the one that your son was playing on that, you know, you're talking with adults live and there can be some really vulgar language. And I know people whose sons have turned into different people because of the language and the things that they're hearing and seeing in these video games. So it's like affecting the whole child, not just, you know, financially or, you know, safety, but also, you know, what's in their brains and they're in a development space and they don't have the frontal cortex of their brain. And, Um, I could nerd out completely right now, but I won't. (laughs) But it's obviously something we're passionate about. And like I said before, um, we've got a couple fantastic interviews lined up for um, you in the near future with people who have been in charge of the departments that are really charged with helping 
keep their users safe. We have one for one of the biggest video games in the world and one from one of the biggest social media platforms, uh, both coming up in the near future. They're people I've known for a long time and they share our passion and very grateful for them to be willing to do that. So you won't want to miss those. So again, you know, subscribe so that you can be alerted to uh, those episodes and future ones. Well, that's it for our episode today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've learned a lot. We've got so many topics of cover to help you protect your business from fraud or yourself from fraud, so please subscribe to the online broadcast to be alerted to when a new episode is out. And because we're new, please tell your friends, rate and review where you can to help others learn about these topics as well. And we want to hear what you love so far about the podcast, how we can improve, and what topics you want to hear us discuss. Uh, you can find the online broadcast on Facebook or find us individually on LinkedIn or email us at info at onlinefraudcast.com. Until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure. 